We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Mac. We're with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast coming at you on a Thursday in which the Knicks play basketball uh, against the Boston Celtics. The first of back-to-back games against Boston. Uh, This one will be at MSG Um, this weekend. It is in the Boston Garden. Uh, sounds like the Knicks, uh, as of the injury report that got released uh, late on Wednesday night, it sounds like the Knicks will not have Kemba Walker. He was listed as day-to-day. Tibbs didn't sound very optimistic today either. Um, same same thing with Nerlens Noel. But other than that, uh, and of course Derek Rose, they will have pretty much their whole team. And uh, Boston is pretty much going to have their whole team. So should be a pretty uh, fun matchup. Hopefully, you know. The, the little the little life signs of life that we saw against Indiana continue. Uh, speaking of Indiana, have a great guest on today. He's been on this pod um, several times, including a couple of times this season already. Um, we talk about the Indiana game. We talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Big picture, small stuff, small picture, trade deadline, all kinds of stuff. The one and only Fred Katz of The Athletic um, is on. As always, he uh, is fantastic. We recorded the conversation a couple hours ago. Um, he just, he's really good. He's, you know, a lot of beat writers just kind of like do their beat writer thing. He really, really knows the game. And like, I love talking to him about basketball because he, um, he likes getting into the nuances of it. And, uh, he got into some nuances today and, uh, we had a a really good talk. So that is coming up right now. Um, I think that is the only thing that I wanted to say. Uh, oh yeah, I'll give a, a quick, uh, I'll give a quick plug. For uh, any Knicks Film School patrons, um, I know we said this on the Patreon pod, but we'll say it again right now. Um, we are doing this playback thing. If you haven't already heard it, it is a an app um, that you open up on your computer um, and you watch the game along with your favorite content creators, which in this case is us, me, Andrew, Jeremy. Um, and it's really cool. You'll hear us talk about the game uh, as it's being played. Um, and you don't have to listen to Reggie Miller on TNT, which is a just, I mean, it's a win-win. So any um, Knicks Film School patrons, I believe in the mellow tier or up, get access to watching the 
game with us through playback. So if you're not already subscribed, um, you know, think about subscribing. You also get the bonus pod every month, which uh, Andrew and I just recorded, or excuse me, every week. Bonus pod every week, which Andrew and I just recorded before uh, doing our our uh, first first week of the month uh, NBA power rankings, which was a lot of fun. Um, that's it. That's the only thing I want to say. On that note, here's my conversation with Fred Katz. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, uh, a returning guest. I've, I'm starting to lose track of how many times he's been on, which is um, a good sign for us, a bad sign for him that he continues to lower himself to uh, our small operation here. I mean, talk about a welcome to the Knicks beat. You get to appear on the Knicks Film School podcast. Fred Katz of The Athletic. How do you feel about having to continue to subject yourself to this humiliation? It's wonderful. I had a podcast in DC and it was, you know, like there are, there are things where I was covering the wizards. Like there are things you talk about in the podcast that when you put it into print, it just doesn't, it's not the same, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't flow as well. It, it, you can't like, you can speculate responsibly on a podcast. You can't in writing. <laughs> can and you? So it's, yeah, <laughs> can you, you can, you know, sometimes you don't, I listen, but you can. And uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be on a, on a, on a podcast, have the outlet and let it flow. I'm proud of often speculating irresponsibly. I, th- I feel like that is the only proper type of speculation. Um, but we'll, we won't start with speculation. We'll start with uh, just kind of where things are at. So uh, we were texting throughout the day because you were at Nick's practice um, where you heard from uh, coach. Uh, I believe it was who Mitch. Um, who else? Mitch was and, uh, Julius Randall spoke. And Julius Randall spoke. Yeah. Um, fresh off of. Uh, well, I'm not I'm not going to reference him by name. I'm just trying to think of the word that he used. Um, possibly b- doing a media boycott because he was unfair because he felt he was unfairly covered. Um, how was Julius's appearance today, Fred? He was interesting. You know, uh, Stefan Bondi from the Daily News, I think it was, who asked him uh, kind of what he thinks of the way that he's covered. And then another reporter asked him about, um, you know, he said he, he doesn't take it to heart. He doesn't look into it. Uh, it doesn't really mean anything to him. He, he asked Bondi kind of rhetorically, does it matter? Should it matter? Bondi said, probably not. Um, and, uh, you know, another reporter asked him if he feels appreciated. Uh, and he said he feels appreciated by his teammates. He feels appreciated by the fans. Uh, or, or sorry, not by the fans. Feels appreciated by his teammates. Feels appreciated by the organization. I didn't okay. mention the fans was what I meant to say. Um, okay. But, that's, a, that's a distinction. But yes, it is a <laughs> distinction. I, I don't mean to make it sound like he, uh, you know, any sort of, uh, there was like a vitriol there, but there was, there was like a, there was an energy to it. There was an energy. I'm sure you can go listen to the sound for yourself and watch the video and decide for yourself. But there was, there was an energy to it. And look, he, he struggled this year. He has not been as good this year as he was last year. And I'm sure we will break it down and talk about all the nuances beyond that. Well, I feel like you, and he was again, very good I, against Indiana, by the way, he was phenomenal against Indiana. And I don't want to, I should, I want to start by, as I, I think you'll agree. I don't want to look, I know they had five, healthy rotation players. And despite how they made um, a couple of those guys look throughout the game, um, several 10 day hardship guys and who are not, you know, uh, quote unquote NBA players. Uh, despite that, I thought it was still a, 
I thought it was still a good performance by him. I still think, you know, especially since the, the guys who are healthy on, in, on Indiana, Sabonis and Turner, like those are the bigs. And those are the guys who are, who are, you know, guarding him a lot of the time. Um, and he's had a lot of battles with Sabonis over the years. And I think he kind of came out of this one on top. It was, a, it was a really good game. It was one really good game in a season in which he has played. Um, hold on. I should have this up, but he's played 36 games. Let's put a number. How many, how many games would you say Julius Randle has had a good game without any like context or just how many games has Julius Randle had a good game? I'll, I'll tell you the first number that popped into my head and I'm curious what yours is. How, are we defining good game by like reached his let's define good game as reached his level of play that he was at last year. Oh, well then that might change my answer. I that's, was going to say, I was going to say eight and now I feel like that might be a little high. I think there are probably five games that's, where I looked at it and I'm like, that's, that's, that's last year's Julius Randall. Cause, cause to me, it's not, it's not the numbers. It's, no. uh, it's, it's almost like this is, this is going to sound weirdly unspecific. It's almost, it's the vibe, right? It's the, it's the not it's very specific to me it's and anyone the, who's watched this team. Right. It's that he's, he's, you know, been the last guy down in transition so many times it's, it's, it's in some ways, I guess it is the numbers because the jump shot has, has fallen off for sure. Um, it's the kind of lack of attacking that we see that kind of affects a lot of the game, the, the, the lack of anticipation on double teams, which I think has never necessarily been his strength, but I think he's, he's struggled more with that. Uh, so far this year, I thought he did a really good job in Indiana, just kind of like getting to the middle. And that's just not really a thing that we've seen. Like last year, he was taking more jump shots than ever. I think one misconception is like the best version of Julius Randle is when he's going downhill and when he can't hit jumpers, then that's definitely the truth. But the best version of Julius Randle was the one that we saw last season, and he took fewer shots at the rim than he had any other season of his career. So I don't know if that's like as definitively true as people state it. But what he did do a lot last year is he was able to get middle, and a lot of those like pull ups and fallaways and all that stuff. Those were they were after he was able to get middle, and 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 he's he's kind of settled for I think a lot of eighteen plus footers this year, which don't really come after physical basketball. They don't really come after good offense, that kind of stuff. And I think. I think that's just what's been weird to see after he was such an like an enforcer last year, you know, it, and, and played yeah. really good defense last year. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've, I joke about it on the pod periodically that he got that lone all defense vote from some some voter out there. But like I, I did feel that that was symbolic of a guy who his defense. I don't want to say his defense had been pilloried throughout his career, but like no one or maybe people that you talk to thought differently. No one I ever heard of thought Julius Randle was a good defender or even an average NBA defender. And last season, he at least got to average. And there were there were nights where you're like, wow, he's really like not. I don't want to maybe say setting the tone, but almost like when you when you took how much he did on offense and then you looked at what he was doing on defense. I was like, yeah, you know what? He is actually kind of setting the tone um, in in his own way. And this season, your reference already, it, it hasn't been there. So like I Again, I, I don't know if this is fair to ask you because you're you're a beat reporter. I'm someone who is a fan that tries to analyze this team as best I can. Like, what do you think of the whole dynamic between a fan base that I think at this point we could say has like clearly turned it on Julius? There are there is a there are a segment of fans that are like, how dare you say anything bad about this guy? And then there's a lot of other people who are 
a little bit more vociferous in their criticism. Like, what do you think of that dynamic? Do you think he's in the right? Do you think fa- like where, where do you come down on it as it like kind of an outsider? I guess I don't. I don't think anyone's in the right or anyone's in the wrong as long as people are acting respectfully and normally. Like the like the people who were like cheering that he got COVID in my mentions. That wasn't cool. That was not yes. cool at all. Uh, I mean, look if if you're the highest paid player on a team. You're coming off an all NBA season, most improved, and you take a significant step back through the first half of the following season. That's just what's going to happen. Like, no, I'm not a Knicks fan. I didn't even grow up a Knicks fan, but I am from New York. I am a Yankee fan. It's the exact same dynamic. Lucky you. Know? you. <laughs> that's, that's just what's going to happen. And like, I think Yankee fans treat Giancarlo Stanton unfairly. To me, that's unfair because Giancarlo Stanton went out there last year and had 35 home runs and produced and came up in huge moments and all of that. But, but so far um, I think it's, it's reasonable to go out there and say that Randall has taken a step back so far this season. If you're a fan, that's reacting to that is, is, is fine. Like that's, that's okay. Yeah. And I I mean, I agree with you. Um, And I guess, I guess where I, where I put, I push back against people who were critical of him early in the year, one, because it was early in the year two because I'm like, I think there's a, it is reasonable to expect an adjustment period between him and some new guys. And he's like trying to, you know, share the ball more. And he's, he was, I think he was getting in his own head in terms of like, what was the right play? What was the, you know, because he, it's, it's like on one hand, you know, he knows he needs to get himself going. Tibbs knows he needs to get himself going. Everybody knows Julius needs to get Julius going. But on the other hand, it's like you have you brought in Kemba Walker, you brought in number Fournier, and that whole thing. Um, and so I was more willing to forgive some of the some of the obvious, you know, like as you as you mentioned, the the not always hustling back and like not always, you know, getting out on on to contest corner threes. Where I kind of turned the corner, and I'm curious again what what you think of this was. And I, I'm, I'm sure we, we talked about the move to bench Kemba, but after that move and we saw that same stuff continue, that's where I started to turn the corner because in my mind, and I, and you wrote about it, we talked about this, we talked about it in the last podcast, you know, how that move allowed them to do more switching and the whole thing. Looking back, I, I don't know. I think that move was about getting Julius going on offense. Do you, do you think there's any validity to that theory? Maybe. I, I I have not heard that specifically. I don't think it's a crazy theory. I remember listening to your pod, I don't know, maybe a month ago or something like that. And you were kind of reeling off Julius's numbers in comparison to how many shots Kemba took in a game. If that was the theory, I'll, I'll tell you what, after seeing Kemba go out of the lineup, come back into the lineup, I don't necessarily agree with the logic. Yeah. Like I, I, I think we've, I, at least I've seen enough now to where I, I think Julius Randle's at his best when there is an actual, like a real point guard, not like a, not like an off ball style point guard, like a, like a guy who can handle the ball and initiate the offense. And then if Randall's got to initiate on secondary stuff, that's great. But like, look, I don't think it's a coincidence that Randall had a great game yesterday when RJ Barrett got off to this ridiculously hot start handling the ball. RJ has been running way more pick and rolls these last three or four games, and he's been getting to the rim these last three or four games. And what got And hitting shots at the rim. Totally. And what I think he took 14 shots in the paint uh, against Indiana and and Indiana. Yes. Missing a ton of guys. And like Kiefer Sykes was a huge problem for them defensively. They just, the Knicks just kept attacking him and attacking him. But like Miles Turner is still there. RJ is yep. still like 
making moves against Miles Turner in the paint, which that's the guy who changes the shot selection for them. You know, mm-hmm. like no matter who is guarding on the perimeter, whether Miles Turner is there or not, he's the one who you're saying, oh, Miles Turner, I'm pulling back out, you know? Yeah. And RJ was still attacking like crazy. I don't think it's a coincidence that well, what got Randall going was RJ getting to the rim. Okay. RJ dumps to Randall and Randall throws down. RJ dumps to a cutting Randall and then he throws down and then that initiates everything. And when did the offense go cold? The offense kind of went cold in the fourth quarter when Burks and Randall are running pick and roll after pick and roll. They're blitzing Burks on the pick and roll. They're given a Randall. And instead of Randall just going, he kind of waits for Sabonis to recover onto him. And he squares up Sabonis over and over again. And he was hitting his jumpers because yeah. he played really well. Yeah, he but, hit some of those shots. But that's but that not- was when the offense went a little more stagnant, you know? And that's so, not what you would call great. You, you 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 can rely on those shots in like the last few minutes of a game where a defense is really tightening the screws and like everything else is not working. But that that is that should not be option A with however many minutes left, you know, more minutes left in the game. Sure thing. I mean, I just I think that that gets Randall on the move more. You have another point guard out there with him. He's able to be a screener more often. He's able to actually be recognized off of cuts. I actually thought he passed unbelievably well against Indiana. I, I agree. I was going to say, I thought just, just watching that game, I was like, he made so many great passes in that game. I know he only had four assists and I was like, you know what? I'm going to look this up. And normally you see a guy with four assists, maybe he's got seven, eight potential assists. And I, uh, I, I, I just looked it up cause I was curious. He had 13 potential assists in that game. I mean, that's a ton. That's, that's a, that's a hell of a game and efficient 30 points with 13 potential assists. I mean, the potential assists is exactly what it sounds like. It's just, he made the pass. If the yeah. shot goes in, it's an assist. And a lot of those looks were open. He was, a lot of them were threes. I mean, I thought, I thought he played a really wonderful game. Um, and, and I don't know, Tibbs said before he went into the protocols that he was nicked up and we asked Randall today, like what specifically were you nicked up with? And he just kept repeating, I'm fine. I'm fine. And, Credit to him. I, I, I was about to say credit to him. Doesn't want to make excuses um, because Tibbs was pretty definitive. He was dealing with something, but it, I we don't know what it was. We don't know how serious it was, but maybe just like five days not playing gives him a little bit of a rejuvenation. Because you know, if you're if you are feeling like that, then what what would you do? You'd start to play a less physical brand of basketball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. So I completely agree with every word you said, and you're you're a thousand percent right. Logically, he does, and anyone who's watched him knows this is true. Logically, he does better when he's when there's someone else running the show, and he is not the one who is who is kind of you know behind the driver's seat. And yet, it never the first go round to me at least, it never felt something felt off always when he and Kemba were on the floor. And obviously, you know, the, the on off or the net rating numbers as well as I do with, with all those lineups. And then when Kemba came back, I thought it was, it had moments, but it was almost like Kemba saying, and you wrote about this recently for, for the athletic Kemba was just like, fuck it. You're going to stick me on the bench for however many games it was. Uh, I'm not, Really, I'm not, you know, missing this next la- possible last chance. And he went off and Julius was kind of, you know, was a was a secondary person, but not not in the same way he was secondary last night. Last night, there was still an aggression and he was still, as you said, had the ball in his hands making decisions, but it was just in a different way. And I'm left with like, I, I, I shrug my shoulders because I don't know. I don't know what it is other than is, you know, does he like playing with RJ Barrett more than? Kemba Walker, or am I just, again, trying to figure out something that you can't figure out? I don't know the answer. Yeah, I mean, look, secondary option doesn't necessarily mean fewer touches. It just means getting your touches in different ways. Yeah, Getting your touches on the move, getting your touches off of screens. Okay, Not all the time. And it doesn't mean he can't even square up a defender. Just, just means doing it in slightly different ways, and it may be different points in the possession. Uh, I, I just I think they look better when they have someone to initiate the offense. That's that's part of why. Like, like I wrote a thing a couple of days ago when they had all their guys in protocols, and I was like, I don't I don't think Emmanuel quickly is is a point guard. I, I know there's this this movement amongst the fan base that it's crazy to amongst some point guard um, amongst some um, in the fan base. I don't I don't buy I don't think he's a point guard. I I, I don't. I I think he's he's a he's a scorer first. And he's like, you know, your typical, at least at this point in his career, maybe he'll get better. Maybe he'll evolve, whatever. But at this point in his career, I think he's your, your typical instant offense combo guard kind of guy. Uh, but they needed someone they've needed someone with Kemba and with Rose out just to initiate offense. Like Burks can run a pick and roll for you and Burks can you know, you know, run a run in action for you when you need it every once in a while, but he's not the guy who's like initiating your offense every play. So when Burks has played point guard, 
Randall has been the offensive initiator the vast majority of the time. I just you need you need different looks. Uh, and 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 I think it just it just takes a burden off of him. It makes the game easier when you're not the guy initiating from 20 feet all by yourself as often as he is. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with that. I, I'm so the the news today, as as you reported, um, we're we're talking on um, Wednesday night. So as people listen to this, it'll be Thursday. So the news yesterday that you reported um, was that the MRI on it wasn't what actually did they say it was an MRI? I'm assuming it was an MRI. On Just said test results. Test results. Okay, whatever the hell that means. Maybe they banged it with a little hammer. He took the G mat. He took the G. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently he he uh, did well enough uh, that he gets to move on to the next the next round. So I, I if you had to guess, I don't know. I, I again, you, you were there. It, it um, was your feeling when Thib- I know what Thibodeau said, but like, was your feeling that we're seeing Kemba tomorrow night against Boston? That's going to be a couple games. What do you think? I don't know if it'll be tomorrow against Boston. I don't know how the Knicks are going to list them. They might have already done it while we're podcasking right now. Um, <laughs> Andrew looked at I don't, I don't know if it'll be tomorrow against Boston. He did very little in practice today. It sounded like, um, you know, when Tib says a guy did a little, but not much in practice, that usually means he did the non-contact stuff. Yeah. If he's not doing contact stuff, it would probably be skipping a bunch of steps to put him back out there against Boston on Thursday. Um, but maybe it'll be the game in Boston on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 they keep saying day to day, you know, they, they keep this stuff very, very close to the vest. So I, I couldn't tell you with like, I, I wouldn't be betting on which day Kemp is coming back, but, but just, you know, history tells us you like to see a guy get a day of contact in uh, before he, he ends up coming back from somebody that's had him out for as many games as Kemba has. So, so staying on the Kemba point for a minute, because it's this season has been like, I feel like it's been now, this is like, we're on our fourth iteration of whatever this season is supposed to be. It's like you had, Actually, maybe more because you had that hot start where everybody was hitting everything that was not sustainable. And then you had the slow downturn, which led to the Walker benching. Then you had Walker on the bench, didn't get better. Then Walker came back, looked great. And now and then everybody, you know, all the key guys went into protocols for a few games. And now RJ has gotten going again, as you referenced before. And I think, you know, and I don't know what there is to say about RJ other than he it's it's good when he looks the part of a number three overall pick and like is making tough shots at the rim. Like, what do you, what do you say about RJ's performance over the last few, few, few games? I mean, it's, it's good, right? I mean, it's, it's totally good. He's, I didn't think he was great against Toronto, but I thought it was good against I Oklahoma didn't think so city. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was good against Oklahoma city. I mean, the thunder have no rim protection, like oh. Muscala, Roby, like those guys, not intimidating anybody in the paint, but you know what? RJ, said, great, you're not intimidating me either. And actually took advantage. And like so much of RJ is just whether he decides to be assertive or not, you know? But Uh, I don't want to cut you off, but with Kemba now coming back, because this is exactly where I wanted to lead you to, is that too many cooks in the kitchen? Because we, we uh, is it is it that RJ's decided to be assertive or that the, the people around him are making it so that it's easier for him to be assertive? A very fair question. I have no idea what the answer is. Nor do I. But it's a very reasonable question because, look, they had nobody against Oklahoma City. And clearly, they whether I don't even think you have to say anything to RJ. It's like he can look around and be like, okay, there's nobody here. 
I have to do something. And he was just weaving around, pick and rolls and getting to the rim. I don't think that was necessarily the case with the Indiana game for what it's worth. They had guys against yep. Indiana and, and he took, he took te- for perspective, like he, he averages four and a half shots in the restricted area a game. And he took 10 in that game again against miles Turner. Uh, and he took that's a more. In the paint. It's a ton. That's, that's a ton. Giannis leads the league in restricted area shots a game. And he takes 8.7. Yeah. So that's your perspective. Like that's, that's a, that's a, 10 is a ridiculously high number. If someone averaged 10, they would lead the league by a ton. Yeah. Like it's, it's a really, really, really large number to, of shots to get in the paint. And he made eight of them. He finished really well. The expectation should not be, and he got to the line, I think eight times. He got with so, 24 trips to the line in his last three games. I'll, I'll beat that drum until it, it breaks that that's the biggest thing he needs to improve is getting, getting to the line more, but I, totally. I digress. And that's, that's a, that's a big way for the Knicks to prop up their offensive efficiency too. They could stand to get to the line more. Well, uh, they, they don't get there at all. Especially when you look at some of the guys on this team and like, they should be getting to the line a lot more than they are and hitting your free throws would be nice too. But anyway, yes, for sure. But I think, I think with RJ, like a lot of it starts with his ability to get to the rim. And I think on nights that you see him, and that's a big thing that Tibbs talks about all the time. And I completely a hundred percent agree with him that when, when RJ and, and Julius just get ahead of steam going to the rim, their offense in general looks better. So much of their offense changes. Like I talked about Julius's 13 potential assists against Indiana. Part of the reason why was because he was just getting to the paint then he was just kicking out to guys and, and, and Indiana was collapsing on him, leaving guys open on the perimeter. And they missed a lot of shots. Other guys missed a lot of shots and he happened to get really hot with his jumper, but he was able to find guys because he was hitting the paint with such momentum and such force. And I think a similar thing is with RJ. I, I don't know if he's, I, it was funny. I asked Mitchell Robinson today when he was talking, if he thinks RJ is a better pick and roll partner than he was two years ago. Oh, and Mitch okay. was just like, Mitch was just like, nah, I think he's the same. And I, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if that's necessarily yeah. wrong. Like I, I it's so, it's so funny to bring that up. I remember my God, I did this with Spencer Perlman during, it was like one of the first games RJ played in, in Brooklyn, I think um, where he like hit Mitch on a few pick and rolls and I'm like, wow, that's I wasn't sure if we were getting that right out of Duke. And like, you know, if you look at his assist per game uh, or not per game per 36 minutes, it's like it hasn't. It's pretty much the same. Like it hasn't really gone up. Yeah, so I, it's just he's so he's so uh, it all comes in flashes. Right. Yeah. That's why yeah. that's why I'm I'm I, I tend to be hesitant with RJ because he tends to go really, really hot or really, really cold. But the reason, and, and it's why I'm, I'm trying to analyze more the actual shot selection and the process of the shots than the fact that he had 32 points in that game and 19 in the first quarter and, and, and was just looking great. Because I, I don't think the only reason he looked great against Indiana was because he made shots. I thought his process was actually quite excellent. Uh, and... And a lot of times it's just like RJ's hitting his shots. Oh, RJ hits five threes tonight. So he looked great. Oh, yeah. RJ went one for eight from three tonight. So we look bad. And, and that's just kind of how we judge it. But I think a chain that, that, that process, that, that ability to get to the rim, his ability running those pick and rolls to get to the rim. Like I, that, that's a good thing. 
It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. No, just, we need to see more of it before we can say it's an actual thing to continue. We we do need to see more of it, and it has come in fits and starts. And like the number I looked up today, which was encouraging on on cleaning the glass, is that he's fifty nine percent at the rim this year, which is still not great. It's in like the thirty ninth percentile for wings, but he was fifty four percent, fifty five percent respectively in his first two years. So fifty nine is like, you know, it's a it's not a huge jump, but it's also a big enough jump that you're not gonna like ignore it. Um, if that number can tick up even a few more percentage points, but then even as I say that, it's like all right, well, he was making everything at the rim for those like four or five games there at the beginning of the season. And he's been making a lot at the rim over the last four games. And then in between, it's like, he's not really doing anything. So you need the consistency. It, it sounds like you think that Kemba will, will go back into the starting lineup. Do we have any reason to suspect otherwise right now? No, no. Okay. I'd be surprised if he didn't with Rose out. And yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be surprised if he didn't. What's okay. the Tibbs line? I view Kemba as a starter. Oh yes, that's right. Have you come as a starter? Use him, I think you've used him as a starter. No, I would be really surprised. I'd be really surprised. Okay. Um, so whether it's against Boston at home, whether it's in Boston, that, that'll come soon. Got RJ, Julius, um, Mitch, uh, same question for Mitch. You, If you had to put money on it, you think Mitch goes back in the starting lineup as well once he's... I'm not sure, to be no, honest. Really? I, Interesting. I just I I asked Tibbs why he decided to go with Taj last night after the game or, or Tuesday after the Indiana sure. game. And I, I thought the answer this is why I asked the question, even when you think you know the answer. I thought the answer was just going to be, yeah, Mitch was coming out of protocols yeah. and and we didn't know what his stamina was going to be like. And, you know, if he was only able to play 16 minutes or something, it made more sense to start Taj. And he didn't say that. He kind of just. David, not particularly specific answer and talked about how he, how he liked Taj and all those guys are, are, you know, used interchangeable, which is not anything to call the presses about. That's, that's like, you know, where he uses about all the guys who play at similar positions. Um, I mean, I, I, I thought also that it's possible and didn't want to say it. I mean, Taj Gibson is, they really struggled with Miles Turner and picking pop centers with Mitchell Robinson starting. So maybe yep. he was just playing the matchups. Miles Turner had seven threes against them. And, and uh, you know, they could play like Julius guarding. They could, they could cross match to Julius guard Miles Turner and Taj guard Sabonis, which is a little more, you know, you might want to do that more with Taj. Uh, so, so that might've been a reason too, but I don't know. I would think that Mitchell Robinson will start. I think he's been playing a lot better lately, a lot I, better lately. I, I, I agree. Think, and- but I, I, I'm, I'm going to go like 80% Mitch starts. Okay, that's we'll hold you to that. Um, it, it, you heard it here, folks. Eighty percent—that's basically like a hundred percent. So Fred Fred Katz is guaranteeing that <laughs> Mitchell Robinson is going to start. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we—I I don't want to get into a whole Mitchell Robinson discussion or even a discussion about the center position. I just—I do think it's worth noting that, as you kind of start to say, it has been so inconsistent this year, and um, not coincidentally, it's been a little bit better because Mitch has played better, and I think Taj. Has been in for Noel. I don't think Noel's played particularly good this year either, outside of, again, a couple of moments here and there. I'm very curious to see what happens. I mean, he's played like, what does he play? Like 10 games this year? It, it feels like he's played about 10 games this year. I'm sure it's more than that, but he's played, I think, 17 games. Noel. Okay. That's so I'm a little off, but it feels like it's been about 10. It, it, it feels like he hasn't played yet yeah. because he's had so many different things, you know? Yeah. And it always feels like he's on the verge of coming back, but then it ends up being another game. You know, yeah. so it's 
it's it's I don't I feel bad for him. It's been a tough year for him. He's had so many things. He had he had the knee, and then he was in protocols for like a really long time. Like these, I see so many people asking, "Oh, it's been ten days. Why is he not out?" It's like yeah. this virus. This virus treats every hits everybody was, differently. It, yeah, it is non it is non discriminatory. It doesn't matter. You know, it's yeah, like it's going to treat you how it treats you. It's been two years. We should know at this point. Uh, we we some should get it. And they're fine and other people get it and they might be in their twenties and it's not any sort of life alarming situation, but it, it is a really crappy few weeks and uh, you know, it's hits everybody differently. So I, 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 I feel for him cause he was in the protocols for a while and he's just, he's had a tough year. Yeah, he has. Um, and I, again, like you said about Julius, I'm, I, I hope for his sake, he's doing well. Um, although at the same time, I'm not sure I'm, I'm looking I'm like super excited to see him back on the court because I do think do think there's an argument that the team's two best centers are the guys who are, who are healthy and available right now. Um, a couple more before we finish up, but you mentioned him before that you, cause you did write about Obi um, recently. He's become such a lightning rod um, in the fan base, obviously in particular going from 45 minutes to 10 minutes. I think even with Julius having a great game rubbed uh, some people the wrong way. I, I get asked a lot and I honestly don't have a great answer. So I'm just going to ask you and, and maybe you'll have a better one. Like, I don't think Tibbs has it out for like Obi Toppin or like Tibbs is like soup, like much, much harder on Obi Toppin than, than otherwise. I just think it comes down to he knows very well that Julia, Julius Randall's his best player. Uh, that's my daughter's enjoying a ice pop here. Um, and he's trying to get Julius Randall going and he wants to. And he wants to put his best player on the floor and give his best player a chance to be successful. Um, I'll ask my daughter this question later, but in your opinion, do you think that's really what it comes down to? Do you think there's more to the fact that Obi gets like, you know, 10 minutes in so many games? I think it comes down to Tibbs's love for rim protection. That's what I think it comes down to. And that look, you don't have to believe what the guy says. Just follow his actions. He, Always, he wants to play a rim protector however much as possible. When he's had uh, player personnel authority, he's wanted to get them. And the way he builds his schemes puts an extreme emphasis on taking away everything from the paint. Uh, he's a huge believer that a guy like Noel, like Taj, like Mitch that those guys aren't just shot blockers that they kind of do that concept that I was talking about with miles Turner, where they're going to, they're going to alter shot selection and he just doesn't want shots going up in the paint. He just, he really, really doesn't. And when you play OB and Julius together, play faster uh, and you'll score more, but it takes away the rim protector. And, and, and to me, like with Tibbs, this is not a style thing. Like when people frame it as a, this is the style he prefers to play. That's wrong. That's not what it is because style changes, style goes in and out, style, style adjusts to the fads. This is an ethics thing. Tibbs' <laughs> basketball ethics. I love that, that you put it that way. His basketball ethics start and end with rim protection. Yeah. That is what he believes. And that is why people are like, he's stubborn about it. It's like, yeah, because it's not style. This is his belief system. This is his religion. Religion is rim protection to Tibbs and, and rim protection is religion. That's just it's the way he thinks about this. So that that's why I don't think it's an OB thing. He also might not be wrong. I mean, the last two NBA champions, Milwaukee Bucks had 
two seven foot defensive player of the year, either winners or candidates. Team before that, the Lakers had, I mean, Christ, you can't fit more big guys on the same team and they just packed the paint and like did not let people score easily at the rim. And like, you could, you know, we don't have to go through all He's of NBA history. People talk about golden state going small. It's like, yeah, they can go small because they have dream on dream on freaking green. Yeah. The greatest exactly. defender in the league probably right now and is six, seven, but is an incredible rim protector. Like that's, that gives you a luxury. I, I think there's a decent chance. Tibbs will be going small with Draymond green too. Like he just, yeah. he, he really, really believes in the power of rim protection. And and I really think that's the reason why um, I, I honestly think that's all there is. All there is to it. I, I don't, I, I think that's, that's really well said. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road, but if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, no smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Two more and then get you out of here. One, um, I'm going to reveal a a text question that we, you think you asked me first, but I have I've been asking myself this all season long. So I figured we just talk about it on the air. Um, who's been the Knicks best player this season. So I think when you first asked me, I think this was a couple of games ago. I think I said quickly, but I was like, but I feel like it maybe it's Burks, but I think my official answer was quickly. And I think since then, and you phrased it better than me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it was something along the lines of like, if you consider how guys have performed in the role that like they are, this is their role and this is what they're supposed to do. I, I think I'm going to have to go. I think I'm going to have to go Burks now among healthy players. I think Derek Rose had. Yeah. Derek Rose is the answer. Yeah. If we're gone. Yeah. Amongst guys who are, who are not healthy, but um, what do you, is it Burks? Is, is Alec Burks the best player of the Knicks this year? It sounds crazy to say. Alec Burks has been the best player in his role on the Knicks yeah. of the healthy players. It's a lot of qualifications, but yeah, I think that's true. He's. He's been really good for them. I mean, he's he's been the the one co- contract who who the one guy who they re-signed, they were brought in yep. this summer who you're like, all right, that that contract's looking real good. I don't think I don't think they they do or should regret the Rose contract, but there was obviously injury risk with that. Yeah. And and Rose was great and totally living up to it, but there was obvious injury risk injury risk with that. And now the injury risk is has come up and shown why it was a risk to begin with. Um, Burks is is the one who I'd be like, okay, Alec Burks for ten million, he's gonna play like this, bargain. So I mean, uh, yeah, just just do, he's done a little bit of everything. He's weirdly shooting really poorly inside the three point line. I know. I think part of that. I would have to look into this more and really watch film, but I bet you part of that is because he hunts foul so much in the paint. He, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. He, he throws his head back and takes these off balance shots to try to show off contact so often. Uh, 
uh, that, and sometimes they just don't call it. So I feel like that probably affects his, his, his two point percentage. That said, it's working. He's actually getting to the line at like a ridiculously good rate. His free throw rate is incredible right now. Uh, he's guarding multiple positions. They played him at point guard, even though he's not a point guard. And like, he's, I can't imagine what more you would want Alec Burks to do playing that role. He's hit big shots. He outscored an entire NBA team for like 15 minute stretch last week. Like I know the Pistons are bad. It was, and it, no it was players. Like a quarter like of an Alec, NBA team. Alec Burks, like, like act like legitimately scored 20% more points than an entire NBA team over a 15 minute stretch to close game. Like that's, that's outrageous. It is. That, that is ridiculous to think about. Uh, I, I think he's been huge for them this year. I think he's been a really, I mean, look, ideally Alec Burks is like a really, really good role player coming off the bench for you. That's, if, well, that's the role that you want him in. And he's had to jump around, but he's, I think he's been really good for them. And I don't know who the answer is. Like, who have you looked at and been like, that's what that guy, that's the role that guy's supposed to play. Well, that's what he's done. And he's been better than that. I think there are some people who would say Obi because his role is to come in run like hell, which again, you, you phrased it really well. I'm going to, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to quote you. Toppin is a different, more modest type of playmaker. Um, and you talk about how his, it's his movement and what he does without the ball, but it's not that he's like an off ball threat in, tar- in terms of shooting, which is what usually when you talk about guys who are a threat without the ball, you say his greatest strength is his movement. Um, and that's, and you nail it with that. I don't know that I could say Obi Toppin because he is just so dependent on other players setting him up and like let get, getting him the productivity that you know we we love from him. Yeah, I think that's fair. Obi's Obi's been really good this year. He's been really helpful off the bench. Um, he's a more limited player than Burks yeah. is, and he's a less refined player than Burks is. I think it's a fair. I think it's a fair answer, but look, I mean, for example, there was that game in Toronto, not the most recent one, two games ago. Oh, no, the ninety eighty seven game, I think. Yeah, right. And yeah. and and Obi had was was looking like he was going to close that game, if you recall. And Toronto starts to play a zone and just not guard him. Yep. And Tibbs pulled him from the game. And it was one of those moments that you were kind of alluding to before, where I think a lot of people were like, how are you pulling Obi? He's already got a career high 19 points. Yeah. He's playing great. And all that stuff was true. He was playing really well. He had changed the game and he did have a career high 19 and, 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 and he was really helping them win until that point. But once the defense is adju- once the defense adjusted to him and was like, we're just going to leave him in the corner and we're not going to do anything. That that motion, like when you get into the half court, if the defense is is ignoring you, it'll it'll help you, but only to a point. Like it's only going to help you to a point. Eventually, you've you've got to be able to hit down a three. You've got to be able to create something for yourself when the other team isn't guarding you. And that's why Tibbs pulled him. And I I didn't I thought that was a good substitution to be honest. And I, and I think there there are too many moments like that where OBS to figure out okay when they're not guarding me. You know, he's, he's got to hit 30 some odd percent of the corner threes or, or something else in order to take that next step. 
Well, you just got me to look it up as we're talking. Uh, John Collins, first two years in the league with the Hawks, 34 and 34.8% from the from three. I, I don't have the corner breakdowns in front of me. Last three years, 40.1%, 39.9%. This year, 42.7%. I think he, I, I'm not saying John Collins has a legitimate all-star case, but like he's on the periphery of the outside of the all-star conversation, if that, you know, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's and a very be- good player. He's a really good player and he got he's been paid $25 million a year. And I think most NBA teams would be like, yeah, okay, that's, that's about right. And I'm not saying that that's what OB becomes if he gets the jumper. Um, Cause I think Collins, Collins is a really good player. Um, but it, that's how important it is because without the jumper, like you said, you, it, it, he just becomes so much easier to guard. Um, okay. So you led me to my, to my, uh, my last one. And it's uh, I intentionally, ordered it this way because I ask you to put your uh, prognostication cap on, uh, which I'm sure you have handy. Um, it's what is this? It's January 5th. So 34 days from now, 35, 36 days from now, February 10th trade deadline. Um, what do you think will be the tenor of things at that time? Could you see them? And I, I referenced the Burks conversation we just had because I think he's the most likely candidate. Like I'm sh- some team out there, I'd be shocked if the, if some contender, if the money worked out, wouldn't give up a late first round pick to acquire Alec Burks. Um, maybe I'm not shocked. I'd be surprised if somebody didn't do that. Um, do you think there'll be sellers? Do you think we're getting a little? We're going to get a move in addition before then? Like what? Or do you, do you think they're going to sit tight? Like I know we're a long ways from there, but what what would you if you had to guess right now? I honestly don't know. Like, I really don't know. I, it's been so hard this year because especially with the protocol stuff, like we just don't have as great of an idea of, of exactly where they're going to be. They're only three games out of six. It's crazy. It's it's, it's insane to say that. Yeah. They're only three games out of six and they have an easy schedule still these next three weeks. It's like, I'm not saying they're going to be in the six seed come the trade deadline. I'm just saying if, if they're still only like two games out of six, I don't think they're just going to like tear it all down. You know, the East is really, really, really jumbled, uh, you know, around playing range and a little above it and a little below it. Uh, depending on Kemba's health and depending on how Rose is doing in his rehab, you know, they said, they said at least mid February for Derek Rose. The trade deadline is February 10th. Uh, you know, if, if Rose's timeline ends up being what they initially expected at the time of the surgery, he'll be back after the deadline. If Kemba's not all the way healthy, I think whether you think you're going to be awesome or whether you think you're going to be terrible, I think you need to go out and get a comp- just a competent point guard because you're just not going to develop the guys like Obi Toppin Mitchell Robinson, if you don't have a competent point guard to help make them get better. So you're talking about if we fast forward about a month and there are still significant health questions surrounding both of these point guards, you would, you would go out and potentially make a move for a point guard. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, not, not something massive, but there are a lot of point guards who I'm sure acquirable. You give up a second round pick and, and get some body back and you got Derek Rose for a second round pick. Exactly. Include Kevin Knox for salary. And that gets you 5.8 million right there. Uh, Poor, poor Kevin Knox. Um, But they're there. I I don't know what they're going to end up doing. Cause like the East is so close. And I quite honestly, I mean, it's my job to figure out what this team is. And 
I can't say with full confidence exactly. Like, like what what do you think they are? Like, do you think they're a they're a nine ten team? Are they a seven eight team? Are they a miss the play in team? If you ask me to put money on it right now, and again, I feel like to answer this question, you have to you have to like have X ray vision into the front office and like. Does Brock Aller have more of Leon Rose's ear? Does Tim Tom Thibodeau have more of Leon Rose's ear? Because I, I would I would wager some money that those two guys may may not approach the trade deadline with exactly the same intentions. Um, I I would probably bet on them being either in. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this because I think this is probably too too high. But I'm a fan. What can I do? I would say either eight or nine, and I even that field because I think they will. I don't think Tibbs is going to let off the gas. I don't think they're going to sell at the deadline if they're even close to in, in the, the race. And I could see them making a little, a little move because they have the Charlotte pick. They have the Dallas pick. They obviously have their, all their own picks. I just don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that move is. I would have, I would have bet anything that they would have traded for miles Turner. And now I I'm really not sure. So yeah. yeah that's Mitch is, I, and Mitch is playing much better too. He is. Which helps alleviate oh. that a bit. Yeah, I mean that that would be that would constitute as a big move for me. I mean, oh, I it, that's uh, a, yeah, that's a big move. He may not be an all star, but like going and getting Miles Turner, that's a that's a that's a really big move. Yeah, I don't know. I, they could they could use a lot of things. Is the thing like they could use a point guard with considering the help of their point guards. They could use another wing. Like they could really use another wing. You know, especially if Alec Burks is going to play this much guard. Like well, could- no, but it's funny you say that because again, it shows the different perspectives. There are so many people out there who like give Grimes like 30 minutes a night. And like, I'm not going to lie. There's a part of me that would like, I wonder what, you know, how Grimes would look, maybe not 30 minutes a night, but like he's a first round pick, give the kid 15 minutes and see what he does. But if you're playing Quentin Grimes, a rookie who was just a, what is it? What was the 26 pick, 27 pick in the draft, 15, 20 minutes a night. Like you're you're probably not a great team. Like, but is there, what is their intention this year? I don't know the answer to that question. I, I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, I think their intention is they want to make the playoffs and try to make a run when they get there. I think that's their, you intention. think they still, I, okay. I don't think, I think they'd have to really seriously fall off in order for everyone in that organization to get on board, just to, tanking to the end of the year. Okay. That, that would surprise me that I don't, I, I don't think that's going to happen. They'd have to like really fall off. And I don't think they'll fall off to that degree. I don't. Um, I don't think they will fall off to that degree either, which is why I said eight, nine. Um, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're, I mean, they're the better other, than that. The other perspective for what it's worth is I think Randall, like if you talk, if you talk about players in terms of like ranges, like, like our us podcasting together can only be so bad and it can only be so good. Right. There's there's a range of the quality of us. I don't know if you've listened together. to enough of my podcast, my <laughs> friend. That's really kind of you to say. Thank you. Like, I don't think that we can reasonably. I don't think RJ Barrett is is maybe he will just continue on this this trajectory for the year that he's having for the rest of the year. But I don't see a scenario where RJ Barrett all of a sudden hits a new floor after this and plays worse. Like I, I don't, don't either. See, I agree with that. I don't see a scenario where Julius Randall all of a sudden hits a new floor and plays worse. Like I think this is the worst that Julius Randall is going to play this year. <laughs> so, so we've seen we've seen rock bottom. And actually, I'll add one more to that. I can't imagine a scenario in which the chemistry between 
again, presuming he ever gets back on the court, Kemba Walker and Julius Randle and RJ Barrett is is worse. Like I, maybe we have seen the worst. That's a and really yet, good point. And yet they're sitting there at eighteen and 20. eighteen and twenty. Uh, and easy schedule. You know what? It's it's plausible that Rand, this is just kind of the year Randall's going to have, and it's going to be an off year. And it's plausible this is the year Barrett's going to have, and it's going to be an off year. It's also plausible that because RJ Barrett's really streaky, it's also plausible that he hits you know thirty six percent of his threes the rest of the way and and gets to the rim ten percent more than he did now and. And things are a little bit better and they play 520 ball the rest of the year. Like that's that's not a crazy hot take, you know. You, you know what? The Vegas over under before the season, 41 and a half. And I, I don't I can't do the math off the top of my head, but if they played about 520 ball the rest of the way, I'm pretty sure they would get to about 41 wins or or, or whereabouts. So I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's worth it. Maybe this this has been a very long-winded way of getting to like exactly where the people that get paid to do this um, for a living thought they would end up. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Fred Katz, before you go, can you please tell the folks at home who somehow still need reminding where they could find you and your stuff? Yes. You can read my stuff over at the athletic New York. Uh, if you're on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz. Um, Instagram is Fred Katz MBA, where I keep saying I'm going to post more content. I keep saying it. I haven't really done it, but I keep saying these, it. What are these days? But I do tweet. So you can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz. Or you can read my stuff over at The Athletic. Oh, shit. I just remembered. We forgot to discuss the uh, de- neither the Denzel Valentine era or or Denzel Washington movies, which was the other thing we said. Right there. Do you have a favorite Denzel Washington movie? Uh, Inside Man. Inside Man. Okay. Inside Man is is the best bank robber movie ever made. That's my hot take. Uh, Andrew, you have a comment on that? <laughs> I I believe you've never I, seen the movie Heat. If that is the act, the thing you're about to say, Inside Man is the best bank robber movie. I, listen, ever made. I'm, a, have you seen I'm a, Dog Day Afternoon, maybe. Inside Man, okay, is the best <laughs> bank robber movie. I love it. No, I love, no, but you okay. know what I love about this. This is a defensible take. It's it's a really good Spike Lee there, movie yeah. with a great Denzel performance and several other. I I I think it's a really nice Jodie Foster Clive performance. Owen is incredible. Clive Owen, yeah. Owen's yeah. fucking awesome in that film. Um, I just had on closer the other night. Random Clive Owen performance. Um, I Children, that's a, Children of Men is the Children of Men's Clive Owen performance. Um, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'll just so I, I could answer my own question. I will go with my favorite Denzel performance is. Man, this is really. I know what my. I, this is going to sound. I'm such a sucker. Um, and the movie has not aged well, but like Philadelphia always does kind of get me. Oh, I'm just. I know I, it's, it's solid. Kind of, no, it's not Glor- a bad. Glory is a great movie. Too. Glory's. Yeah, Glory is pretty great. I mean, there's so many, you know. Um, anyway, okay, that's a good one. Inside Man's a good one. I like that. Um, anything else, Andrew, before we let Mr. Katz out of here? I'm saving all my Denzel Washington takes for a different podcast. That I get, I get exist. so nervous. <laughs> I get so nervous when I say anything TV or movie related now, because I know like now that I cover the Knicks, Alan Sepinwall is like oh, lurking yeah. behind me. It's going to be like, that's a bad take. Listen, monitoring my TV and movie takes. Alan, Alan is not the be all end all of, of TV takes. He, he actually, he probably is. <laughs> But it's just, it's just, I imagine, I imagine Alan listening to this to the same way that I would listen to like a movie critic being like, you know, Ennis Canner is an unbelievable defender. That guy just fights. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, yeah, I, I listen. I have a lot of terrible movie and TV takes, so I, it, it's it's not just you. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll do the we'll do TV takes next time. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, you're the best. All right, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Fred. He is awesome. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the Athletic, you should do that. It's um, it's a really good publication. They have lots of good stuff. And uh, he is awesome. Uh, don't forget, if you enjoy the pod, feel free to give it a rating, uh, drop a review. And of course, if you are not subscribed, subscribe, because that helps us out. We appreciate you listening, um, as always. And uh, don't forget, check me out after the Celtics game, both Celtics games, this this in the next couple of days, um, talking live uh, on YouTube about... Again, what will hopefully be at least one win. I would sign for one, one and one. I'd love two and oh, I'd sign for one on one. Uh, we'll see what happens, but until then, uh, take care and enjoy the rest of your week.